So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to actually look at a couple of verses, look at what they're actually saying, and go through the process that I go through when there's verses that aren't that straightforward. We're going to be using the NIV, and then we're going to also jump to the NLT. So the NIV is the new international version, and the NLT is the new living translation. So those are the two translations of the Bible we're going to use today. Anyway, so let's have a look at these verses, okay? They're found in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27 is what we're going to read to begin with. And then we're going to do some jumping, but then we're going to go back to Luke 14. So if you don't like jumping or it's a bit tricky, stay in Luke 14 because we will end up back in Luke 14. So this is Luke 14, starting at verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone wants to come to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Have a think about that for a second. Jesus himself is making it really clear that if we do not hate our mother, our father, our wives, husbands as well, our children, our brothers and sisters, even our own lives, such a person cannot be his disciple. Whoever does not carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So here we see in black and white, Jesus telling us, if we do not hate the people that are closest to us, we cannot be his disciple. So we can read those words and we can do a number of things with them. We can panic. We can forget about them and think, oh, well, I don't really understand it, so let's just move on to the nicer love part of the Bible and let's talk about love and not talk about hate. Or we can actually wrestle with it a bit and go, okay, what is Jesus actually really saying here? So that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to go through the process of hopefully at the end coming to the point of going, ah, I now understand but I more than understand I can now actually apply these verses to the life that God wants me to live. So one of the first things it's great to do if there's a passage in the Bible that you don't understand is to think, is this just a one-off? Is this the only time that this is mentioned in the Bible? Because if it is just a one-off, then we can look at what is the cultural understanding, what's going on behind the scenes as to why this one-off statement is being made. So I'm going to do some jumping around to show you that, unfortunately, this is not a one-off thing that we can just say is a cultural phenomenon and we don't have to worry about it. So if we jump to Mark, chapter 8, verse 34, this is what it says. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves 
and take up their cross and follow me. If we jump to 1 John, so not Jesus speaking, but one of the disciples writing, 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. If we go to Matthew chapter 8 and verses 18 to 22, it says this. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of God has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So there's many other places, but those are just a snapshot of verses that tell us that this idea of hating our mother and father, hating our brother and sister, giving up our own lives is what we need to do to be a disciple. So we can't just write off the verses in Luke as just a once-off thing that was culturally based and not actually a thing that we need to actually take seriously and follow. But then you're all thinking, hang on, there's some other verses I know that sort of contradict this whole idea. And you're right, there are. If you look at Matthew 14, verse 9, it says this. For instance, God says, honour your father and mother. And anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. Now that's quoting some stuff in the Old Testament. But Jesus is quoting it and making it real in this time. Matthew 19, 19 says, honour your mother and father, love your neighbour as yourself. So it seems like we have two contradictory ideas. Depending on what verses we read, we get told to love our mother and father, to love our neighbour, or we get told to hate them. So do we just pick and choose which one we want to do depending on whether we're liking our parents or our husbands or our wives or our brothers or sisters? Matt's saying yes, which I don't think is a good idea. <laughs> but what do we actually do when we see this? What do we do when we read something that doesn't seem to fit what we know about the greater story of the Bible. Now, the other thing to do once you've gone, okay, yes, this is an idea that is found elsewhere in the Bible, so I can't just say it's a cultural thing, is to look in different translations. So even though we're just reading in English, different translations have different ways that they've gone about understanding the Greek that was written. Some of them look what's called word for word. So they take every single word and they translate that word. And that's what you get. In other translations, they do word to word and then thought. So they'll look at what the Greek word is, translate that into English, and then say, what was the overall sentence understanding? And then change it appropriately so that it actually is the thought that was created and not just the words that were there. 
And there's some who don't go word for word and just go thought for thought. And then there's some others that we can talk about some other time if you want to. But we're going to look at the NLT now. We're going to read Luke 14 in the NLT, okay? So this is what Luke 14, 25 to 27 says. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. If you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, if you look at the NIV and the NLT next to each other, you'll see that some of the words are quite similar. But there's actually two words that make a really big difference to the understanding of these verses. And hopefully you all picked it up. It was by comparison. So the NLT is saying, by comparison, your love and your devotion to Jesus, to God, should be as if you hate everything else. It should be so distinctful that when they see the devotion you have, the love that you have for your God, and the love you even have for your husband, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, your mum and dad, they should go, wow, how much does this person love God? Now, that actually sounds good. Not sounds good, but like that actually makes sense. It actually goes, oh, okay. Maybe that gives us an understanding of what this hate is actually talking about. That it's not actually hating them, but it's the comparison between how we respond and how we act and how we feel towards God compared to everybody else. But how do we know that someone hasn't just said, hey, let's just put to by comparison because that makes more sense to us. How do we know that that actually was the intention? And that's where... It's really great if you're like Joan or Melissa or I think even Jim. There's a few people here who have actually learned Greek. I have not learned Greek. I find it hard enough to spell and speak English. And so another language would just has always been beyond me. But what you can do and what is brilliant about technology, because I used to have to go to the back of a book and the front of the book, like there was this whole technique I learned to find out the Greek words for stuff. But now you can just go online and say, what is the Greek word for hate in Luke 14, 26? And it tells you. So I do not want to diminish what Melissa and Joan and Jim and others have done, because if you understand the Greek, you would have a much, much deeper understanding than I do by just Googling stuff. But it's enough to give us an understanding of what's going on here. Now, when I did that, it tells me a strong number. Now, all that is is there's this guy whose last name was Strong, that did this amazing thing many, many years ago, and he went through the whole Bible and he numbered everything. He numbered every Greek word and how it's translated differently so that we have a comprehensive list of, oh, when it says this word, these are the verses it says, and this is the meaning. Because just like in English, Greek, depending on the tone and the way that it's said, can have different meanings for the same English word. So, meiseo is the Greek word. And this is what it says. 
Luke 14.26 uses the term meseo, hate. In many, perhaps all English translations, this meseo is translating the English to the word hate. In context, that reasonably shows its usage to be something other than an aversive emotion that we in English recognise as hate. So most places, not just in Luke 14, 26, but in other places in the Bible, it actually is talking about something more than just what we think of hate when we think of the word hate. In fact, it's used in the relative sense, where Christ is comparing the fact that one ought to detest, which is another word that you could have used instead of hate, in terms of what the Greek word means, so you could detest your mother, your father, your wife, your child, your brother and sister, or your own self, if any of those get in the way of being his disciple. So that gives us an understanding that what the NLT tells us is actually what the Greek is trying to communicate. So that way we can be pretty confident that we can say by comparison, the way that we love God should seem like we're hating anybody and everything else. Hopefully that's all making sense and everybody's like, yes, I can see where this is all going. So because of that, let's go back now to Luke 14. I'm going to read it in the NLT version, not the NIV. And I'm going to read actually beyond those verses as well. Because that's another great thing. If you want to understand some verses better, reading the verses in the context that they're said and not just taking the verse as itself is really, really helpful. Because remember, when this was written, there was no chapters, there were no verses, it was written as a whole. And so I'm going to read sort of the portion that these verses sit within. So in the NLT, this is what it says. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if anyone wants to be my disciple, he must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For you who begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it, otherwise you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counsellors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. And if he cannot, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace where the enemy is still far away. So you cannot be my disciple, you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavour, how do you make it salty again? Flavourless salt is neither good for the soil nor good for the manure pile. Throw it away. Anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. So now, hopefully, we all understand that we are actually commanded 
by God to hate everything in comparison to him. Not only commanded, but it says you cannot be my disciple if you don't do this. Really not the best thing to hear on a Sunday morning, I'm sure. Because it's really hard to do. But Jesus understands it's hard because he goes on after saying, hey, by comparison, you have to hate everything to be my disciple. He goes on and says, before you even decide anything, count the cost. Realise what you're saying yes to. Because if you don't realise what you're saying yes to, how can you actually do it? I don't know if any of you in your breakout rooms got to the question that Matt asked about, have you ever bought something that you've regretted? I have. I bought a dressing gown for Catherine for her birthday a couple of years ago, and I bought it online. Anybody who knows our family well will know that Daniel wears a dressing gown in the house every moment of the day he's awake, unless he has to turn on his camera. And, he's got his, and my guess would be Daniel has his dressing gown on right now. Um, and it doesn't really matter what the weather is, he'll be wearing his dressing gown. Catherine used to do this until her dressing gown got a bit too short. And so I thought, what a great idea to buy Catherine a new dressing gown for her birthday. So I went online, found this dressing gown that said it was like long and plush and like really good. But what I forgot to do is not a very Matthew Patterson thing to do. It's a very Tanya Patterson thing to do. And it's good to distinguish between the two of us because we are very different in this way. One of us is brilliant at researching and will understand and research everything before making a decision. One of us goes, that seems good. No, like the prize, seems to work, let's do it. Now, if you haven't guessed, I am the second person and Matt is the first. So if you ever, and this is what Matt's family does all the time because all the Pattersons, are, like all Matt's brothers and his mum and dad, and sister are really great researchers, is instead of researching themselves, if someone has bought something like probably the last six months, they might say that research is still valid. They'll just ring each other and say, what did you buy? And they'll buy the same thing. Because they know as a Patterson you would have done great research and make sure that like price and function and all those things would take place. But I don't. So I bought this dressing gown. And it came in the mail, and I looked at it, and I was so pleased it came in the mail a couple of weeks before Catherine's birthday, because Catherine, I don't even, I don't even know, did we give it to Catherine? No, we didn't. We didn't even give it to Catherine because it was thin, and it was like one of those dressing gowns that you wear if you want to be seductive and wear something, you know, like to half cover yourself but half not. Do you know, like those kind of things, which was not what Catherine was looking for. She was looking for a nice, warm cuddly dressing gown. Now, fortunately, Catherine has some great friends who have bought her oodies, and so because of that, that's now her, like, choice, and so a dressing gown is not as needed as it was. But I didn't count the cost. Well, I did. I looked at the cost, but I didn't actually look at any of the details behind that. 
because it didn't work for its purpose. And that's what God is telling us to do here. He's telling us to be Matt and not Tanya. He's telling us that we need to actually know what we're saying yes to. And even more than that, if we're going to actually share the gospel with other people, we need to make sure that we know what we're asking them to say yes to. And it's really, really, very clear that being a disciple means actually it's going to cost you. Being a disciple means laying down your own life and picking up the life that God has for you. It means in comparison, your, de your devotion to God to be greater than your devotion to anything and anybody else, even your own self. I am really, really hoping that this is not the first time you've heard this. I'm so hoping that no matter how old you are or how young you are, that you actually already knew that it was going to cost you. And hopefully someone told you that so that when it did cost you in the life you've been living, it didn't come as a great surprise. The Bible tells us that we're going to have trouble. Sometimes in the world, Christians can give the impression, follow Jesus and your life will all just be great. That impression directly does a disservice to what is biblical. And then when it isn't great, when things are not perfect, when they do not all work out the way that we want them to, what happens then? If you know that actually following Jesus costs, it requires sacrifice, it requires actually hating things so that it looks like you hate things because of the love you have for God, then when things don't go your way, when it's really, really tough, it doesn't make it easier, but you can say, oh, yes, I actually knew this was the way it was going to be. And the reason it costs is because we are wired and society tells us, well, one of the reasons why it costs is because society tells you it's all about you. Society is really good at telling me it's all about me. Everything that we do, everything that, you know, even yeah, that I have rights and my rights should be respected. When the Bible actually says, yes, you have rights, but you give up those rights to follow God. And so what, the life that we're actually called to live is counter to the life that the world tells us we should live. The world says it should be all about you how you feel, what you want. And yeah, it's nice to think about others when it's convenient. The Bible makes it really clear that we are actually to die to self. It tells us it's no longer us that lives, but it's Christ that lives in us. And so that means that our selfish ways are always in fight against what God has actually asked us to do. Now, I hope also, not only do all of you guys know that it costs to be a disciple, but all of you know the great blessing there is to be a disciple. 
because both actually are true. And if we don't know ourselves and don't tell others that both are true, we do a disservice either way. If we say it's all blessing, we do a disservice. If we say it's all cost, we do a disservice because it's actually both. And sometimes it's both at exactly the same time. Sometimes it's the cost that actually brings the blessing. Sometimes it's when we die to ourselves, when we do what God is asking us to do, even when we don't want to and even when it's hard, blessing actually comes. We have peace, we have joy that is not based on what we're doing but based on God and his spirit. We see the way that he moves mightily when we actually step out and things actually cost us. And so often cost and blessing happen at the same time. But if we only are looking for blessing, we are so going to be devastated when the cost comes. Jesus makes it really clear. People hate me when he walked on earth. He said they hate me and if, they, if you're going to be my disciple, you are going to be hated too. Expect it. Expect it to cost. And when we expect it to cost, then when it actually does, we can go, oh, yeah, I knew this. David, King David, in 2 Samuel, there's this great story. And David is wanting to bring a sacrifice to God. And this is 2 Samuel 24, starting at verse 20, I'm going to read. But when Aruah looked and saw the king and his officials coming towards him, the king being King David, he went out and bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. Aruah said, why is my lord the king come to his servant? To buy your, your threshing floor, David answered, so I may build an altar to the lord that the plagues on my people may be stopped. Aruah said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. He, an oxen for the burnt offering, and he's the, the threshing sleds and ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Aruah gives it all, gives all of this to the king. Aruah also said, may the lord your God accept you. But the king replied to Aruah, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the ox and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. Then the Lord answered his prayer on behalf of the land and the plague on Israel was stopped. David said, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord, my God, burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And actually, my friends, that's really what each of our hearts should be. Each of us should have the heart and desire to say, I will not sacrifice to the Lord that which cost me nothing. David could have done it all for free. Could have cost him nothing, but he went, no, I want to actually give of myself and to do that, it's going to actually cost. I will not give to my Lord that which cost me nothing. I'm not always great myself at living this out. 
There are times when I love my life and my family and people more than I do God. There are times when I care more about what they think than what others think. There are times when I would rather not do what God says because I'm selfish and it's easier and I want to rest and I want to do nothing. But my desire is to grow in this area. My desire is to continue to be a person that lays down my life for the things of God, who knows it's going to cost but knows the cost is worth it, knows that the blessing of God comes as the cost comes at times, and know that I want to be a person that will not sacrifice that which costs me nothing. And my prayer is that each one of you want to be the same. Because, unfortunately, we cannot be his disciples if we don't. If it doesn't look like your love for God is hate for everything else, it actually says we are not his disciples. This is not what I say. This is what God says. And so because of that, this should be the direction that we're moving in. To offer our bodies as living sacrifices as Roman tells us, to actually daily take up our cross and follow him. And I just want to say that if this is the first time you are hearing this, I am so sorry that that is the case. And if you disagree with what I'm saying, can I please ask you to give me a call? And if you don't want to give me a call, give someone else a call and actually wrestle with this because I think... I think it's time, and if we want to be mature disciples, that we actually wrestle with this, that we actually say to be a disciple costs, it clearly tells me that, and so that is a direction I'm going to walk in. And it's not going to be easy, but there's people that, have done it, that are going before me that I'm going to follow, that the Holy Spirit is going to give me what I need, and this actually can be my desire.